And so I looked at the holy water and I went in the kitchen and I grabbed him and I grabbed everybody. And I was like, Jerry, I was like, I don't know what's going on right now. I was like, but what I want you to do is let's bless our building. Let's bless the business. And that was what I did. Like, that was the first thing. Cause I kept thinking, well, I can control this. Let's just, you know, have some good vibes and some positive energy and then our couple started to call like the evening. Hey, it's Josh. Before we get started with this episode, I just want to ask that if you're listening, please subscribe in your podcast app so you'll get notifications when new episodes come out. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend and maybe leave a review. It will really help us out. Okay, enjoy the episode. Breaking news tonight, the coronavirus forcing millions more Americans into virtual lockdown. Our country wasn't built to be shut down. This is not a country that was built for this. It was not built to be shut down. America will again and soon be open for business. Uh, very soon. A lot sooner than uh, three or four months. It's There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. Um, there's a lot of, you know, wondering if you're risking your life by going to work. In this episode of Restarting America, we're excited to welcome Angelique Ori-Bailey, or Chef Jolie, the founder of Low Country Cuisine. Chef Jolie founded Low Country Cuisine in 2007 and is now celebrating 11 years in business. She has served personalities such as Tom Joyner, Charlemagne the God, U.S. Representatives Colin Allred and John Lewis, and was the official caterer for Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys for more than two years. Chef Jolie has been recognized for her superior cooking style in various meeting outlets, including Good Morning Texas and Good Day. Low Country Cuisine was voted Wedding Wire's Couple's Choice and was highlighted in the Best of the Knot Wedding Magazine. We're excited to have Chef Jolie on today to hear more about her experience. Okay, welcome, Chef Jolie, to the Restarting America podcast. We're really excited to have you today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here too, Josh. So before we get into the whole kind of COVID story, maybe you can tell me just a little bit about yourself and how you started your business and what's been kind of going on up till close to where we get to the point of like the reason for our conversation today. Sure. So... Um, I own Low Country Cuisine, uh, Cuisine with a Q. I always tell people, think queen of Southern Gourmet. Um, we are a full-service catering company. And we specialize in weddings, corporate events, private events, pretty much any event where you need food. Um, I started the company originally in 2007 as a, a part-time, on-the-side kind of hustle as I was working in corporate America. Uh, my background is in sales and marketing and worked for a couple of um, big companies, Granger, Industrial Supply, Office Max. And I, my grandparents, my family is from, uh, they're from Charleston, South Carolina, which is considered the low country, coastal Georgia, coastal South Carolina. And I spent a great deal of my childhood there. And both of my grandparents were in the culinary field. So they cook breakfast, they cook lunch, they cook dinner, and my mom can't cook. She couldn't cook back then, she still can't cook. She knows this, this is not going to shock her when she hears this podcast. So when I would come home um, from 
visiting my grandparents, I would call them and ask them, hey, how do you cook this? And how do you make this? And um, as the oldest daughter with working parents, I just uh, picked up the whole cooking thing kind of out of necessity. And I got tired of eating hamburger helper and crock pot surprise for my mom. So um, as I got older and went to high school, college, I was just always that friend that prepared food for gatherings and helped set up for different parties and things that friends would have. And I grew up in a house where my mom was an entrepreneur and she just always told me, you know, if you find something that you are doing for free because it's your passion and you love it, and then you figure out a way to do that, but get paid, then you'll never work a day in your life as the, the saying goes, but you really work hard, <laughs> but you're working hard at something you love. So um, in 2009, I had my daughter and I decided to tell my husband, like, you know, I don't think I want to go back to work. I want to figure out a way to grow this company um, into a full, a full, um, a full-time business. And so uh, I told him to give me 12 to 18 months to get it all figured out. And that was in 2009. And so we are celebrating, we celebrated 11 years of me running Low Country Cuisine full-time um, this past spring. So Congratulations. Thank you. Thank it's one of those you. things you also have your, your, it was your first child. Also, it's like you have this like kind of like uh, double birthdays, I feel like, I'm sure. Yes, I do. And my daughter just turned 11. <laughs> in September. So she is right there neck and neck with the, she's grown up in the business. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what it was like in those like beginning days, like doing it, you were doing it maybe part-time or you were doing it while you were working or maybe when you're on maternity leave. Tell me a little bit about that. So I had been talking to a really good friend of mine about potentially wanting to start this catering company um, around 07. And at that time she was graduating from uh, getting her master's degree and was gonna have a party. And she was like, I want you to cater it. And I was like, uh, well, we just been talking about this. I was like, I don't know if I'm ready. She was like, yes, you are. Just, you know, you're ready. And so I was like, and me being the person that I am, I'm a perfectionist. Virgo's a perfectionist. Um, so I got business cards. I made sure that I had my company's name. I wrote a menu, planned her menu, and did her party. And people were just raving about food. And not that I didn't think I had good food, but I didn't, I just wasn't, I was not prepared for the great response. And people were asking me to do events after that. And so um, I would do events on the weekends and in the evenings while I was still working full time. And then um, once I decided to leave corporate America, because my background is in sales, that was one thing that really helped me grow my company when I really looked at it as a sales organization, um, not just a food company and something that I'm just, you know, passionate about. Because um, I feel like sometimes that is an obstacle for entrepreneurs is that they don't focus on the sales and the marketing side because it may be something they're doing because they love it. And it's a great thing if you love it. And if your food is great, that's great. But if people don't know to buy it, then that could really be a big issue. So um, I really just kind of looked at, you know, 
my list of all these corporate customers that I had from other jobs and I started to focus and make phone calls and you hear all the time it's a numbers game, but it is, you know, how many phone calls do I have to make to get in to bring someone food to taste? And once I bring them food to taste, am I asking them, when is your next event? And can I do a proposal for you? Or can I, you know, send you pricing for your, your holiday party? Um, and then on the social side, the same thing, going to go visit wedding venues and um, going to networking events. So in those early days, I really didn't have a lot of customers. <laughs> so in those early days, I really spent time uh, building relationships and um, establishing my brand and who Low Country Cuisine is and what sets us apart from all the other caterers. The catering industry is a multi-billion, with a B, billion dollar industry. And there are no like major um, companies that have like the, the, the foothold on that market, which means there's a lot of opportunity there. I mean, if you try to think right now, who's the biggest caterer? You know, in the United States, you can't really think of, you don't know, you know what I'm saying? It's not like a Nike or, you know, or uh, Coke, those big companies that yeah, have I never thought of market shares in their industry. It's not like that with catering. So there's a lot of opportunity. And that's what I focused on. How can I get a piece of this multi-billion dollar industry and what's going to make me, me look different? And I really think that's what helped. Good food helped. But also helped that I had a sales and marketing background that I could, you know, pair together with the good food. It's interesting. I feel like in food and beverage, often you hear about like chefs with like little business acumen kind of thing right. of like, you know, they're they're incredible chefs, you know, and I you you watch on TV, it's like, okay, what's what's separating like the Emeralds and the Gordon Ramseys and the, you know, why are they able to be so successful when many um, like chefs and restaurateurs like struggle? then it is a struggle and i think that's an interesting thing and i i think like to hear you come at, at it, it's like oh i you know i have like a business sales background and then i happen to also be in food you know right. and food to be in catering and i think also just like also the assessment of you know i'm thinking about like wow there is no one caterer i could think in my community you know it's like i have kind of like a specific dietary restriction we're actually like we're we're doing like kind of a virtual dinner on Friday. And so we're getting actually like catering delivered from like the one caterer I know. There's like three caterers doing this like specific diet in our area. And so it's like, we know, but we also know it's like small, you know, within like, you know, it's like, okay, so there's like, let's say there's a thousand events a year that these three caterers are going after, you know, which is still a lot. It's not, to, it's not to say that. It's a lot. That's a, that's a, that's a lot of business to be done, but it is interesting that it's not like the same in like, Texas and New York and Los Angeles, you know, it's like, we're not seeing this. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting. I, I wonder if you could say what, what is setting your business apart? You're saying that you have these things that are setting you apart. Tell me a bit about like when you were establishing what set you apart then and what sets you apart now? So one of the things that I think that really made us unique is my family background, being from the low country and living here in Texas. I'm not from Texas. Uh, my family, like I said, is from Charleston. My mom moved to Atlanta. And so I grew up between Atlanta and South Carolina. And so in that region of the country, people are pretty familiar with what the term low country is, right? When I moved here, people didn't really know about the low country. Um, people would say low calorie, what is it? And I'm like, no, it's low country. And so for people listening who may not be familiar, 
Uh, the low country is the coastal areas of South Carolina and Georgia. And there is a lot of rich African Caribbean um, culture in that area because it was one of the major places that the uh, a large amount of the slaves that were brought to this country came in through that area. And one of the main reasons is, is because of their expertise in cultivating rice. And rice was a, is a major crop in, in South Carolina, that Georgia area. And so being from there, there's the rich cult, cultural culture, history, and the cuisine. So somewhat similar to um, food in Louisiana, but more with more Caribbean and African influences, a lot of seafood and rice and stews and gumbos. And so that was something that people here in Texas weren't really familiar with. So you kind of, um, low country food kind of fuses Southern comfort and African and Caribbean and soul, you know? And so, when I was able to share some of those recipes and start my initial menu with some of the food that I grew up with, it really was something different um, for people here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And then another thing is we're still in the South here in Dallas and our food does have a lot of Southern groups and people like that for events, like upscale Southern comfort food. And I, I believe that we are the only catering company in our market that is not doing Southern inspired food. We're doing Southern food that is elevated in its presentation, um, tastes like grandmother's food, tastes like your auntie's food. However, it's presented in a much more elevated way that looks great for a high-end wedding, you know? So that really set us apart. Tell me what what is when you when you're comparing like Southern inspired versus Southern tough like I'm imagining like I mean like I'm just like imagining like maybe like brisket slider or like macaroni and cheese in a tube kind of you know I'm like kind of imagining like okay what events have I been to tell me like what is the difference for you between Southern and Southern inspired? For me, like I'll give you an example. Um, okay, obviously I am I'm not Asian, right? However, I can cook Asian inspired dishes that have an Asian flair, but they may not be traditional Asian. You know what I mean? Sure. And so you lose, I, I think, not all the time, sometimes you lose, when people are looking for that authenticity and you put together something that's inspired, it's like a nod to whatever that cuisine is. And I believe that, especially when you come, when you talk about ethnic cuisines, um, a lot of times people want to feel that authenticity. And so that's what I mean when I say our food isn't Southern inspired, it is Southern food. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So take me through the kind of like the last 10 years till we get to, to hear like any highlights, um, like the things that have like changed in your business. I mean, having a business for 11 years is serious. You know, this is like, a, I mean, it's like a long, a lot of businesses will fail much sooner than that. So tell me a bit about um, that journey to here. Wow. So there were a lot of times where I thought I was going to fail. <laughs> there are still times where I'm like, hmm. Um, you know, it, it hadn't been 
easy. You know, that whole saying is you'll never work a day in your life. And I think there's a meme that I saw that says, it really means as an entrepreneur, you'll work harder than you ever worked <laughs> in your life. But like I said earlier, when you're doing something that you love and you're doing it for yourself, it you have a different perspective on it. Um, one of the things that was really challenging was the financial part. Um, when you start a company and you go to try to get capital from a bank or what have you, one of the things they want to see is your history of <laughs> that you've been doing this and making money. And it's like, well, I'm just starting. I don't have the history. I need help to get started. So in those early days, um, and even up until recently, we have been able to grow Low Country Cuisine without the help of big banks. Um, I purchased, you know, a chafing dish. And a chafing dish is just that thing that you see on a buffet that they put the food in. It has a little warmers. I purchased a bunch of chafing dishes here, you know, here and there. And I purchased other equipment, all with my own money. And I just literally, bit by bit, added to my inventory to, to start this company. And then um, for a couple of years, I was using a restaurant's kitchen um, that was only open Monday through Friday for lunch and dinner. So I could go in at night to prep and on the weekends for events. And then I was like, well, I'm full time now. If I need to, if I want to grow, I got to be able to cook whenever I need to cook. Right. So I was like, I got to find a location. So I went back to my husband. And I was like, okay, I've been doing this. Now I need a location. And he's in accounting and finance. He was like, well, where are you going to get the money from? I was like, I'm not sure. I was like, but if I'm going to do this full time, I got to be able to cook and deliver food when my customers need it not just at night and on the weekends. I want to sell to corporate. And corporate is open Monday through Friday during the day. Yeah, that's breakfast, um, lunch, and dinner. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right. So um, what I did was I talked to a family member that was an entrepreneur. And so he agreed to invest like $7,500. That's my first investment. <laughs> um, and he said, well, evaluate your company and tell me how much it's worth. 25% is worth. And so I was like, well, how do you evaluate a company? And if anybody's ever done that, it's really hard to do that. So I was like, well, I'll just look at my assets and look at how many, how, what my accounts receivable looks like. And so we settled on $7,500. <laughs> and so from there, we, I rebranded, I made my website look great. And like I said, I kept uh, networking and relationship building. And so when it was time to move into the location, I think I needed maybe like close to $100,000 to get in the location. So again, I went into my pocket to talk to my in-laws, which was so nervousing. I know that's not a word, but it's my word. It was. Um, and at this time, it was 2011 or so. And my husband and I had only been married for about three years. And I'm going to his parents, telling them, you know, I've been doing this full time now and I've been doing okay, but if I'm gonna grow it and really make money for our family and make a legacy for our family, which was my is my goal, I need a place. So 
they decided to help me out. And that was, oh my gosh, I was so nervous because I'm like, this is my, my new family. What if I fail? How's that going to be? And could you imagine the pressure? Yeah. Like at that point, so we moved into the place and um, my, my family member who said, okay, I'm, I'm giving you this, this money. Once you get in there, it's up to you to keep the doors open and keep the lights on. And so I hustled. Like I went door to door like I did when I sold copiers. And I knocked on businesses' doors and said, let me bring you a sample lunch. You know, let me bring you a complimentary lunch. And I did that over and over again. Um, we did, um, we sponsored events to get our name out there. And really that's how the business built. I think the first year I moved into our location, the prior year I had done like $65,000 in sales by myself with, you know, not having my own kitchen. We moved in there in 2012, we ended at like 200,000. The next year we ended at almost 500,000. Mm -hmm. And the next year it was 800,000. And so, you know, it's got to be pretty validating. Yeah, and before COVID hit, we'll see where we end up this year, but our forecast was $2 million. So literally brick by brick, and like I said, no help from big, big banks at all. It was blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, you, I don't know if you can see these burns on my arms. Like, I was cooking, shopping, selling, doing it all in those early days. I think that you brought us to the to the point where what kind of brought us together today. Tell me, bring me back to maybe March, you know, kind of thing is where we think about a lot or in, in Texas, I know it was maybe a little bit different um, how like the exact timeline went, but tell me a little bit about um, the, the shutdowns coming and uh, what you saw and what you felt and what you did then. OMG, it was so crazy. Um, March. So one of the things was we had just secured a contract with an assisted living, uh, not assisted, independent living facility where we were doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner for them seven days a week. Um, and that started in December actually of 19. And so it was a very big undertaking, um, so we were working that. And also this year, we probably had more weddings than we've ever had on the books um, since I started the company. And it was so weird. It all feels like, some of it feels like a blur right now. I remember sitting in my office um, and looking on Facebook. We talked about Facebook earlier, you and I. <laughs> I was looking on Facebook because I'm in a group, um, International Caterers Association. We have a private Facebook group where we're talking about stuff. And one of my colleagues in the DC, Virginia area, they knew first. It feels like they knew because she's like Washington, you know, DC. So she posted that about COVID and that people were starting to cancel events like left and right. And everybody else around, not in her area, were just kind of like, oh yeah, hmm. Cause it hadn't started happening yet. And so then it like made major news. And then she posted, she was like, here's a letter that I sent to all my clients 
Like here's, and you probably got these emails too when it first started from big companies saying, here's what we're doing. We're taking, checking temperatures, we're sanitizing. And so she, she said, here's a letter that I sent to all my clients. It didn't matter because they all canceled anyway. And I remember thinking, well, her customers are probably just scared. Like, I don't know, let's, let's draft a letter. So uh, drafted a letter, sent it to my attorney. He looked it over and said, okay, this all looks good. Just make sure everything you say you're gonna do that you do, right? As your COVID protocol. So we sent it to all of our customers, we posted it on our page. And then the next thing I know, it was like the shutdown. And I remember calling my mom and I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, what do I do? <laughs> because you felt so helpless in that moment. And she said, well, all you can do is control the parts that you can control. Just figure out what you have control over and do that. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I'm sitting in my office and I have this little jar of holy water. Um, a gentleman, one of my, one of my team members, um, whenever there's something going on, he'll pray for people or go to their house, what have you. And when we made a little, we did an expansion in our space. I guess that was 2014 now. Can't remember. Um, I asked him to bless the building and bless our new uh, delivery truck. And so there was the holy water that was left. And so I looked at the holy water and I went in the kitchen and I grabbed him and I grabbed everybody. And I was like, Jerry, I was like, I don't know what's going on right now. I was like, but what I want you to do is let's bless our building. Let's bless the business. And that was what I did. Like, that was the first thing. Because I kept thinking, well, I can control this. Let's just, you know, have some good vibes and some positive energy. And then our couple started to call, like the email started to come, the phone, the, um, the phone, phone call started to come, the voicemail started to, to come, and we couldn't do anything but allow them to postpone. We didn't even have a process, you know, in place. You know, we had a cancellation process in place, but to handle all those postponements, like, when they sign a, a catering contract, you have to guarantee a certain amount of guests, right? And there's no, there's no backing out of the guarantee ever. But in this place, if they're saying only 50% of the people can come, we kind of have to let them, you know, pull the decrease the guarantee. So in the beginning, that's what we did. We just let everybody just decrease. And we just took the hit. It was like blow after blow after blow. Um, and then I think we rescheduled almost like 30 weddings in the beginning. Um, but now, since we've been doing it for a while, we've come up with a process and we've kind of meet them in the middle. They can't just decrease whatever number they want. We give them a, a cap at how much they can decrease and we're letting them move the funds to um, uh, upgrade their menu or upgrade rentals and stuff. So. It, is, it has been interesting. 95% of our, our customers have been understanding and kind of going with the flow. Then a small percentage really just want to have the day that they planned before COVID happened. And that has been, that has been the part of this that's been difficult for me because I have a contract to help you celebrate your big special day. I also have a team of 30 people that feel 
you know, some hesitation about being in a gathering where people may or may not be wearing masks or may or may not be following protocol. And when your business is based on gatherings and gatherings are the things that we can't really do the way we used to, that that's been the most difficult part is that small 5% of, you know, people that think differently about the pandemic. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Have you, have, have events started back up now? Um, are people scheduling events for the, not just rescheduling, but are people starting to schedule events? Tell me a bit about, I'm guessing it's been kind of a roller coaster there. Tell me about it. Yeah, it's been a complete roller coaster. So events start back up about in, in June. So we've done, um, I've lost count now, maybe close to eight or 10 weddings since June, which have all been different. And yeah, it's been, it's been a challenge. Surprisingly though, we have a great, uh, a great amount of new inquiries coming in for 2021. And the, the challenge there is learning how to now sell and overcome obstacles that I never had to overcome before to close a sale. You know, before when people would say, well, what happens if you go out of business? You know, we get asked that question. Sure. You know, somebody's spending thousands of dollars for a wedding that's 12 months away. You know, that's sometimes people ask that question. And in the past, I could say, well, you know, um, I don't plan to go out of business. However, any of your wedding vendors can go out of business. And I suggest that you get wedding insurance. Sure. Right? But right now, there's so many caterers and other businesses that are literally going to not be in business, you know, in 2021, 2022. And couples can't really get wedding insurance right now. So trying to navigate how to talk through that and the questions about, well, the COVID protocol you have in place now, the things that you can't do like you used to, are you going to be able to do those in 2021? I don't know. You know, so it, it's hard to, it's hard to have the same level of confidence when you sit down with someone that we used to have. Um, because it's a whole different ball game than it was, you know, even eight months ago to have an event. So um, I'm learning from my peers around the country, you know, how are you handling this? What are you all saying? You know, what are your ideas for serving this type of dish that we used to do this way and now we can't do it this way? So it's a learning it's going to be a, a learning curve for all of us. And it's the bright side is that there, there is a bright side that it's not just us. We are not the only catering company or the only company um, that has had to handle this. We're, we're not by ourselves. Um, but I will say that one of the things that is a big, has been a big bright side is that when I started my company, I always wanted to have retail products and maybe do a cooking show or what have you. Well, spring is normally super busy for us. All of a sudden, I had nothing to do. <laughs> I 
had no weddings to go to. <laughs> and I decided this is the perfect time to launch some of my products. And so um, in April, I launched our new, my new seasoning. Um, yes, it's called a dab a do ya. <laughs> um, it's the house seasoning that I put together that we started using in the business for years. And so I was like, okay, this will be a, um, a relatively easy first product to launch, not too high cost because it's yeah. seasons, right? And so it lasts a while. It lasts a while. Yeah, easy to make. Um, and so in April, I launched that on, I was doing these lives. You know, everybody's doing lives, sure. right? <laughs> I was doing these uh, live cooking demos called At Home with Low Country Cuisine. And so I got the recipe correct and I made a couple of bottles. And at the end, I was like, guys, guess what? I'm going to launch this new seasoning, start selling it next week. If you're interested in purchasing it when it goes on sale, send me a message. I got so many messages after that live because I didn't even have an e-commerce set up yet because um, I was planning to start selling it like the following week. And I got so many messages. I was like, I got to, people want to buy now. Yes. Right. So mm -hmm. I went on PayPal and I figured out how to do a link and have a picture and before I went to bed, I had a thousand dollars in sales. Wow. Right. And my mom was here with us because she came to stay during, you know, the shutdown. She was like, How are you gonna bake all that? I was like, that's the easy part. Getting people to buy it is hard. I was like, yeah. they're buying it. And so we started shipping like that next week. And it has been amazing. People are ordering Four, four and five bottles at a time to replace. I've had several people order 10 bottles after yeah. they've had it because they want to send it to friends. So that that's the bright side of the slowdown <laughs> for, for us. You know, they say it's the year of the pivot. So. I love that you went, I personally, I, I like, I'm deep into like barbecue Instagram. And so like, I, okay. I was actually, I was talking to my, my wife recently. I was like, I don't really follow like lifestyle influencers, but like the weird influencers I get are like spice influencers. They're like, Oh, use this spice or use that. And so it's like, when you, when you mentioned that you were doing a spice, I think it's like so intriguing. I think also to like have that kind of chef branded spice kind of thing you know it's like it makes so much sense we i used to live uh i just moved down the street but i used to live right next to like a famous chicago steakhouse and they like sell their spice in the grocery store kind of thing and i remember we got one for free or something and i like used it all the time like i loved it it's like literally it's like salt and pepper and garlic like it's like who knows what it is but it's just like one of those things. i just i know i love using it so i love that you did that wonder do you have um and i think also like the pivot is big you know i mean it sounds it seems like um I, mean, I kind of want to ask, I don't want to assume, but like, you know, the things that are really keeping you going during this and the things that are really challenging you during this. And I wonder, you mentioned, you know, having that uh, the assisted living contract. And I can imagine like that really is keeping you going. And, you know, it's like this consistent thing. You're doing three meals a day. You have like, you know, how many people like things aren't really changing there. And mm -hmm. I can imagine, you know, whereas like corporate, like corporates cancel, you know, like weddings cancel, you know, like we've seen all this stuff. And so I can imagine, um, that kind of thing and then also just so it's like you have like your business that's going on you have the challenges things your business and you also have the opportunities um that you create for yourself there and so i i 
yeah so i guess maybe you could say like the things that really are keeping you like positive and going and then the, the things that are really challenging as well during this so what's keeping me positive and going um i would have to say the the pivot piece um for me that's one part because when i started the company my vision was not to just be a catering chef you know, I have this vision of having cookbooks and like I said, products. And um, when I got the story, I told you how fast we started growing. It's like my head was spinning. I almost kind of lost sight of the ultimate goal because, you know, like I said, oh, this is for me to build a legacy for my family. And you could probably build a pretty decent legacy with just a catering company. But imagine having products everywhere you know and cookbooks everywhere and you can make money before you know in your sleep and when things slowed down it just hit me like this is 11 years later now is the time like i was forced to have the time to to focus and the response from the people and i think it, everything happens the way it was supposed to happen because for 11 years i worked hard to build my brand here in our marketplace. And that foundation was really beneficial to the next part of the Low Country Cuisine journey, which is the, which are the products and YouTube channel and, and cooking show. And people love our food so much. Uh, my mom joked, she said, I really think people are buying that seasoning so much because they think their food is gonna taste like yours. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I think that's part of it too, because people would ask us, like, how come your food didn't taste like catering food? Yes. And part of it was our seasoning and, you know, the way that we marinate things. And so, um, and then too, another thing is, that's been keeping me going is my, my, my people, my team. Um, I want, always wanted a family environment and part of the reason I wanted to start my own company was because I wanted a culture that was not going to be like some corporate culture. And so when I look at the people who've been with me for so many years, I think about the fact that I want to make sure they still have a job. And during this, we have not had to um, let go of anybody. I've been able to maintain people. I've been able to cross train people to teach them to do things that they didn't know how to do before COVID, but it's kind of like everybody wants to keep working. So let's all figure out how we can stretch. So those things have, have really kept me going. The, the pivot to keep growing the brand and to keep my, keep my team working and help them learn. You know, they're learning more things in the company, which makes them more valuable. It's really incredible. I think that that story that's a, again, like, you know, like being in business for so long, like keeping your team on during these things. It's like, it, it, I'm sure it's like getting more normal to talk about, but it is not a, it's not totally normal. And it's a pretty incredible thing. It's, there's a lot that goes behind those stories. I know. Um, and from what we, from what I see and from what we've learned talking to lots of other people, um, what do you think for, what do you see kind of in the next, like five years what do you think will be the like the remnants of this time and how do you think it will affect you and um your business oh in the next five years um 
one thing about this industry and catering and food and beverage industry, people are always going to need food and beverage, no matter what, especially in the next five years. Now, if you said 50 years from now, we may be able to just press a button and we're nourished. I don't know. <laughs> um, so in the next five years, I think that we will see events come back. Um, they will, in the interim, probably look a little bit different. However, people in our industry are creative. There is so much opportunity um, to do things differently. Um, I, we just got booked to do a virtual cooking demo for a big uh, corporate retail uh, company that's headquartered here and they're doing it for virtual employee engagement. So because people are working at home, they still want employees to be engaged and people love food. They love cooking all this, you know, chef stuff and food network stuff. People love it. So there's opportunities there with all of our corporate clients and um, employee engagement is a, a very important thing. Um, so I think you'll see a lot of that. Like um, I think you and I were talking, you're doing like a virtual dinner party um, as well. So we've seen a lot of that. There's Zoom cooking classes. Um, so there's so much to, there's so much opportunity out there in our industry and with us launching our retail um, side of our company. I'm, I'm not nervous about what's going to happen. It's almost like a whole new world has opened up and I'm, I'm ready, ready for it. As we kind of wrap up, I'm wondering what advice would you give to other small business owners that are listening to this podcast? Um, well, my advice would be the same advice that someone gave me um, early on that didn't make as much sense as it makes right now. And that is to keep moving forward. So like we said, when we first, we first started, um, so many times I thought, am I going to be able to make it to pay payroll this month? Or am I going to <laughs> be able to close this deal because we really need this, this opportunity? And the times where I felt like I wanted to quit, I would call friends or call my mom and she would say to me, well, you know, you could, you don't have to work for yourself. You could always close the company and you could go get a job. And then I'll, in any real entrepreneur, true entrepreneur, those, those, that's like death, you know, <laughs> you know, close your company and go get a job. Just figure it out one day at a time, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. And when you have those moments as an entrepreneur where you feel uh, stuck or you feel defeated or you feel like it's an obstacle, just remember to just keep making steps forward. Even if it's a little step, uh, take it one day at a time. And it probably sounds cliche, but in total, I've been doing this 13 years and that's what I keep thinking about. Okay, as long as I do something to move forward. That's great advice. I think I've really enjoyed hearing 
your story and the I think the the pivot in this is also really exciting like I'm like I'm like oh, I need to go look more okay. <laughs> well thank you so much and uh yeah we'll link to everything also in your in the notes here and uh okay. yeah, thank you okay Josh well I've enjoyed it and I hope you have a great day and Thank you for listening to this episode of Restarting America podcast. Make sure to subscribe in your podcast app and visit restarting-america.com for more episodes like this one. Restarting America is produced by 97Switch.